rauschendes Bächlein so silbern und This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. You have just heard the beautiful Liebes Botschaft from Franz Schubert's final collection of songs entitled Schwanegesang. Our performers were the British tenor Mark Padmore, with one of his favorite collaborators, pianist Paul Lewis. Mark has enjoyed the kind of career that is reserved for an intense artist who dares to show rare vulnerability throughout his music making. From his journey through the song cycles of Schubert and Schumann and his renowned interpretation of the evangelist in J.S. Bach's St. Matthew Passion, Mark Padmore has blazed his own trail of distinction in the international vocal world. With over 30 recordings of song and oratorio to his career, he has now taken on the role of Aschenbach in Britain's Death in Venice at the Royal Opera House to critical acclaim. I first met Mark when we shared the same voice teacher, Eric Fatir, in London. Mark always possessed a transparency about him with kind eyes and tousled hair when he bounded into voice lessons. Even then, he was already carving out a niche for himself with a smaller voice which parlayed a sensitivity to text. This was the hallmark which he would become recognized for as the artist who produced heart-wrenching interpretations of song and leader. In 2015, Mark Padmore graciously offered me an interview before he went on stage with pianist Christian Bezadenhout to perform Schwanegesang at Alice Tully Hall in the White Lights Festival at Lincoln Center. With a passionate nod, he cited the word Sehnsucht, or longing, as the tie that bound the songs of the evening's performance. This is our memorable conversation in the green room. Mark, how are you today? Very good. Yeah, I'm delighted to be seeing you again. Can we just start by talking a little bit about your growth? Where are you originally from? I was born in London, um, but brought up in Canterbury, uh, which is a little cathedral city in the southeast of England. Um, a very beautiful place, uh, slightly cut off from London, uh, strangely, although they're only about uh, 50 odd miles away from, from London. Um, and, yeah, my m musical education was essentially, um, I, I was given a recorder when I was four by Father Christmas and, um, and enjoyed learning to play that. And, uh, my parents then gave me the opportunity to, um, learn another instrument. I was given the choice between a clarinet and a flute and that, um, I went for the clarinet and I really took to it and loved it and played in a very good youth orchestra. So essentially, my first 18 years um, were, were very much you know, playing musical instruments, not really singing very much. And, um, and the youth orchestra gave me a great education in, in music, and I toured uh, with them. We went to Germany. We actually played in the Berlin Philharmonie Hall uh, when I was about 16, which was mm. an enormous thrill. Very exciting. 
Yeah, and and singing, I'd say, came came rather later. Leader, I think, is a is a tricky area to to get right. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't have the vocal capacity in my twenties or really in my thirties to do it justice. And I I, I put um, leader singing very much on the back burner. Uh, in my thirties, I essentially was sang a lot of baroque music. Um, I was taken up by William Christie and Les Arflorissons and mm-hmm. also Philippe Herrevega and uh, the, the Bach, uh, the, the, the uh, Collegio Vocale uh, in Ghent and, and did a lot of Bach with Philippe. And, and those two people, Bill and, and Philippe, sort of brought me on as a solo singer and I did that away from home territory. I did, did it essentially in France and um, Belgium or um, travelling traveling around with, with Philippe. Um, and that was a that was a fantastic learning experience mm-hmm. for me, but it was in a repertoire that suited my voice well. Um, at that stage, I sang some of the French Baroque stuff, which was fairly sort of high lying. Mm-hmm. Got to work with some fantastic people, including Lorraine Hunt. She was then mm-hmm. Lorraine Hunt Lieberson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did uh, Charpentier's Medei together, and which we brought to BAM, and we also did Hippolyte Arisi. Uh, the Rambo opera. So I, I had some fantastic opportunities in my 30s, but it was essentially as a as a sort of baroque singer and and going into other later repertoire didn't happen until I was 40. Isn't that interesting? You've been you've been kind of maturing like a fine wine, haven't you? I mean, we're we're going towards a, a really rich Bordeaux now, I think. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you carved out a niche for yourself early on in these, especially the Baroque French. Um, did you start then coming up through the choir with these conductors, or were you just chosen as a soloist immediately? With both um, those groups, it, it was. Uh, I did sort of go in really as a soloist. I auditioned for Bill and. I actually auditioned for a student production of Hippolyte Arisi. Uh, because they couldn't find a, a suitable tenor in, in it was a co- co-production between the Paris Conservatoire, the Hague Conservatoire and the Guildhall School of Music mm-hmm. and they couldn't find a student who could do this rather high-lying part so they auditioned um, and, and I, I got that particular role and then quite quickly went on and sang solo with Bill but at the same time we would do pr- productions where um, they would just sort of, he would use eight singers and you would sing everything. Mm-hmm. So we did something like uh, Purcell, Purcell's Fairy Queen mm-hmm. with eight singers and, and you would sing the choruses and, and then step out and do a solo. And So I, I was very willing and, and, and happy to do that kind of music making. It was a great experience actually to, to be part of tours with small groups of people. It was the most like chamber music you can get really. Um, mm-hmm working with Bill uh, on those smaller productions. And it's something that I've enjoyed ever since, in a way. I've more recently done Bach Passions, where they've been done with very small forces. And, and that also has this sense of making chamber music, and um, which I find very important. When I've done these sorts of productions with the Orchestra of Age of Enlightenment, we've had really um, exciting rehearsal process where where it is, it's very much, I find, about attentiveness, about it. so everybody's listening to one another. There's nobody actually waving their arms at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I find very um, liberating and important and, and, 
and sort of really uh, encourages people to take responsibility for what they're doing, mm -hmm. and and that's lovely. Uh, I mean, you do need voices that can can sing together. But, you know, people who you're not wanting to just you know, be be at the front and and standing doing solo. <laughs> but I I think it, yeah, music making works very well like that. I think it's a social activity in many ways. Uh huh. That's interesting. So you're going along with with all of this extraordinary um, uh, Baroque work. What was the catharsis then that led you on into this part of your life? Was there, was there a moment where you thought you would step uh, forward, uh, so to speak? Well, uh, to a large extent, I got to um, Roger Vignols to thank for uh, getting me started on singing leader. He, I knew Roger vaguely. Uh, but he, we met at a um, at a concert, and he suggested I went and um, sang uh, to him or with him um, at his house and and look at some leader repertoire. So we did that, and he then, at the time on the BBC Radio Three, there was a program called Voices, um, and that did, was sort of studio recording time, where you could just uh, do a small recital and it would go out in the afternoons. Um, and I did one of those, and that sort of... Things just... One thing led to, to another. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have... On the basis of that, we got a BBC lunchtime um, recording, which was done from the Wigmore Hall. And, of course, the Wigmore Hall has become an enormously important part of my life now. Yes, That's indeed. You were artist-in-residence there in 2009, I believe. Mm -hmm. Marvelous. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an extraordinary place um, where the leader tradition is is sort of nurtured almost like nowhere else. It is the most wonderful concert hall, isn't it? It is beautiful. It's, it has about uh, 550 seats. Um, it's just a very simple shape, uh, but the acoustics are great, and you feel it's got a very um, welcoming acoustic for the singer um, you, you feel as if you're singing well on that stage because it's it's got a cupola uh, behind you which it sort of gives you a little bit of I think it just it, it, it gives you confidence as uh, in the sound that you're making which it is does. very nice there are some halls where you you can be, it can be very dry and you can feel as if you're not making a very nice sound mm -hmm. but the Wigmore definitely has a has a reassuring um, acoustic. So tell me how you met Paul Lewis. Well Paul and I um, just, I mean I, I, I got to love his playing. I um, heard sort of early Schubert recording um, he did for Harmonia Mundi. Um, we've got, we had sort of mutual acquaintances. Uh, I, I do keep contact with a lot of chamber musicians um, it's a. It's probably the area of music I love listening to the most. Um, string quartet repertoire, but but um, the piano trios, the, uh, the the solo piano repertoire. I think the the, the great riches of uh, music are, are contained often in in those um, smaller formations. Um, and so I listened to Paul playing and really liked what he was doing. And then we sort of just, it was a it was just a bit of matchmaking on, on the part of um, somebody who wanted to put us together as a, as a mm -hmm. pair to, to see what would come of it. And we did a concert. We did a, I think the first thing we did was Sherna Miller in, in um, Perth in Scotland. 
and uh, it went very well and and we th just then sort of decided to work more together um, we were both uh, recording for Harmonia Mundi um, so it made sense for Harmonia Mundi then to sort of do um, our Schubert discs uh, with, with, the, with the pair of us and um, mm -hmm. so that's, that's something I feel uh, incredibly happy um, that it came about it came about sort of at, at the right time and um, we've toured a lot. We've we've been to Japan together. Um, unfortunately, Paul was unable to do this tour uh, because he had a, an operation which then prevented him from flying. Um, oh, I'm but, so sorry. Uh, but uh, I was incredibly lucky that Chris Bezadenhout, who I've also recorded with mm -hmm. uh, for, with Harmony Mundi, and in fact was just on tour with in in Europe. Uh, he happened to be free. Better, he had a green card or has a green card. So. <laughs> He didn't have to go That's through helpful. through the hoops of uh, last-minute visa, which is is pretty impossible. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it was um, the fates were definitely with us uh, when Paul um, uh, had to withdraw. You know that we could I could find um, that, that Chris was actually free to do this uh, these three concerts at uh, Alice Tully. different pianists and, and that's so I'm sort of unfaithful as it were to to, uh, to <laughs> pianists but it's partly because uh, I love I love the process of working mm -hmm. the, the process of rehearsing um, I think if you work only with one pianist um, you can get I mean there, there can be great advantages from from knowing what uh, the other is going to do but but you you can get to the point where you don't need to rehearse quite the same way. Mm -hmm. I love having to start again, um, and that's been uh, hugely um, beneficial for me. I mean, I've, I've learned a great deal from that, mm -hmm. and I it's something I'll you know continue to do. I I, I love um, you know there's so many talented pianists out there. Some of them specialise in um, playing song. Um, and others sort of specialise in, in other areas and you, you gain um, great insights from both of them. I mean, I love the fact that Paul uh, Lewis or someone like Till Fellner or Imogen Cooper um, mm -hmm. know the, the piano repertoire around, um, you know, the Beethoven sonatas, the, the Schubert sonatas, um, all of that so well. And then that, they can bring that towards the mm -hmm. song. And then someone like Roger Vignoles or Julius Drake, Graham Johnson know incredible amounts about the song repertoire. Um, and they can inform me and, and enlighten me and, and suggest repertoire in a, in a way that um, the, the solo pianist wouldn't be able to do. So it's, uh, you know, the, the, quali the qualities um, uh, are different, but, but they're, they're all, you know, wonderful and dear colleagues Absolutely. Know, uh, who, I, who I love working with. You've managed to really carve out this wonderful life of leader and ensemble singing, as you've spoken about, and of course, your tour in the Evangelist in, in the St. Matthew Passion, which was rather extraordinary. 
Um, how hard has that been to do in, in, um, in these modern days as a performer? It is a tough world. I think the opera world is pretty unforgiving. Um, for, for people on a personal level, often having to travel um, a lot of the year to be in cities you know, for six weeks at a time, um, away from family perhaps, and uh, uh, I know colleagues who, who really do suffer from that, uh, oh, yes. and it's not something that I have ever really wanted to do, um, and I've resisted opera partly because of that, but also partly because vocally I'm not suited to, to huge amounts of, huge sort of areas of the repertoire. Mm -hmm. I am not a particularly ambitious singer, I've, I've tried to do the things that, are, that have come along as well as I can and um, followed I think probably instincts of, of repertoire that I enjoy the, the paths that have opened um, to me more recently is a lot of contemporary music yes I see that um, and that's something that has, has developed and has become quite exciting working um, with composers like Harrison Birtwistle Mark Anthony Turnage um, Thomas Larcher uh, when, when people write new music for you mm -hmm you have another sort of set of challenges to, to face and, to, right. and you learn a lot from doing that. So it seems to me you're having almost nine lives here as, as the performing artist in your evolution. It's rather exciting these days. There's, there's an intimacy with you, Mark, that I think is, is marvelous. It's this same personality I knew as the young man and you've managed to really keep that but hone it into a wonderful maturity along the way. Um, now, we're, you're performing tonight, and again, thank you for taking time to do this. This is quite amazing. I'd be protecting my voice <laughs> up the wazoo. Um, but um, what are you bringing to the stage tonight in the Schubert and the Beethoven? Can you share that with us? It is extraordinary music. Um, the, 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 one of the reasons why the two pieces go very well together um, uh, is that they, they have a sort of common theme in a way, which is uh, summed up in, in the one German word, Sehnsucht, mm -hmm. which means, we usually translate it as longing, but it's almost a sort of, it's, it's more emphatic in German than that, it's sort of an addiction almost to, to, to longing. And uh, it features very much uh, in, in, in the Andy Fernicke Liebte, it's the, the idea of the distant beloved, the, the, the beloved who is sort of unattainable somehow, either for geographical or, or other reasons. Um, but the fact that song can reach across. Um, and uh, there's a wonderful line at the end, um, which is that, that you will sing what I have sung out of the fullness of my heart without any artifice. Uh, only inspired or uh, motivated by Sehnsucht, by, by longing. And so you, you have this sense that, 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 that it's a very wonderful German concept, this, this idea of Sehnsucht. And it's uh, a word that then features um, absolutely right through um, Schwanen Gesang, including the very last song, Die Taubenpost, mm -hmm. um, which it's almost like a riddle um, and the answer uh, uh, is presented at the end that uh, you know what do you what do you call this this uh, pigeon um, that's that's carrying messages and uh, the answer is Sehnsucht. Mm -hmm. So so those go very well together. I think therefore um, Chris Bazaden and myself try to sort of draw the audience into this 
into the wonderful world of, of these songs. Um, I mean, Spanagazang is written by a 31-year-old man who, who the, the last things he wrote, mm -hmm. Schubert, um, uh, they contain some of his most terrifying, um, but also most beautiful music. Um, it's 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 a, a world where he he really could do. I mean, he was a master of what he was was doing, and and could turn um, a poem into into the most extraordinary um, yes. oral sensation. And 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 I think um, it is music that. I mean, some of the greatest music I've written is the short answer. And, yeah, and, I think and so, too. it's 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 a real privilege to be performing it. And the Beethoven, the poetry for the Beethoven. So how distinct is this? Well, the the, the poetry of the Beethoven is, um, I think, where, where it does sort of re reach its point. It's, I mean, it's, it's about... Um, the birds singing and, and the leaves rustling, and that, which is often sort of a the thematic, you know, idea um, that goes through a lot of this German lyric poetry of uh, 18th and early 19th century. But but it is very touching. I mean, it, it, the imagery is very beautiful, and the Beethoven. Um, it's, it's usually called the first song cycle, which it um, pretty much is the mm -hmm. first first important one. Mm -hmm. He also does it. He th through composes it. Um, which means that he doesn't have distinct um, gaps between the songs, mm -hmm. but actually writes music that links one song to the next. Um, it's uh, it, it, I, I love doing it. It's it's a it's a elusive piece. It's a piece I've had to work on quite hard with mm -hmm. with various uh, pianists, but it is an absolutely delightful piece. And it, it, it the, the, the various moods that he captures in these in these different songs yes, yes. really do. Um, uh, touch people deeply. And this is his only song cycle, is it not? It is pr pretty much. I mean, he wrote um, groups of songs, but settings of the same poet. Uh, he wrote a group of Goethe, Goethe songs and, and various things, but, but yeah, it's the only one that's essentially a song cycle that he mm -hmm. would um, perform together in this way. And uh, But it is a work of, of great genius and was one that was uh, loved by many composers. Um, Schumann quotes it in his fantasy Stück for piano, uh, fantasy, and um, uh, it, it was a yeah, it was a piece that, that became very important to, to composers that followed after. So on Saturday, you're performing the, the great Winterreise. Uh, this you've done many, many times. Is this the crowning glory to these three independent concerts you're doing? I think each of the three Schubert cycles really has its place they're, they're like different mountain peaks um winterizer is the, 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 essentially the the, the the most popular the most famous um it's the sort of the everest probably of the of the uh, the, the song cycles um it's 75 minutes long it's 24 songs it's it's, it's as far as a sort of span of singing is concerned, it's probably the longest bit, I mean it's longer than most symphonies, mm -hmm. um, so for continuous singing it's quite a quite a, a big expanse of, of uh, the repertoire uh, as well. It's a very dark cycle, it's, a, it, um, it's very, very unpopulated by human beings, mm -hmm. um, it's essentially a story of a, a man who's lost his love, um, we learn that in the first song. And the, the rest of the cycle is essentially going through a, a winter landscape 
um, encountering crows, barking dogs, the sort of icy uh, rivers, um, and, and very little human um, contact at all. They're, they're any humans that appear sort of very much in, in the town, and he's, he's in the countryside looking in, until he, the very last song where he meets this hurdy-gurdy player, uh, which is this strange encounter where Schubert writes one of um, the, the great sort of genius songs that, mm -hmm. that's ever been written. <laughs> I can tell you're having a lot of fun with your performing. This is a marvelous thing to see, Mark. Where to from here? I will be doing George Benjamin's great um, new opera, Written on Skin, when it comes back to Covent Garden. Mm -hmm. um, that's essentially my Covent Garden debut, uh, beginning of uh, 2017. There, I hope there will be other plans, but it's nothing sort of particularly definite at the moment. But I'll, I'll sort of carry on doing essentially what I'm doing at the moment, which is to do a mixture of leader, uh, of recital work, um, certainly continue to sing the Passions, the Bach Passions and, and other oratorios, and uh, a lot of orchestral music um, with solo voice, uh, mm -hmm. which I enjoy very much, and um, yeah, new repertoire. So, so yeah, it, it won't, you know, there's no, um, there's no sort of particular goal in mind, mm -hmm. but, but just to, to do things that I love and to continue to, to sort of put across this uh, extraordinary repertoire to, to people and, and say that it's really worth listening to. Mark, just in closing, if you had to choose one word to describe yourself or your innermost work, could you offer it to us? One of the words, there's a beautiful um, line of poetry by D.H. Lawrence, which is about thought. He says, thought is man in his wholeness wholly attending. And I think the idea of attention, of actually being attentive to what is going on around you, attentive to other people, attentive to, to what is going on in the music, an awareness, a noticing of things, and then trying to sort of be able to communicate that, um, but also sort of perhaps demanding it of the audience um, themselves, that, that they listen attentively. That was my interview with tenor Mark Padmore, which we did before his second performance in the White Lights Festival at Alice Tully Hall at Lincoln Center in 2015. Since this interview, Mark Padmore has been honored with a CBE by the Queen, a significant title for an extraordinary life's work. In the 2021-22 season, he is the artist-in-residence at the Wigmore Hall, where he celebrates his relationships with pianists Till Fellner, Imogen Cooper, and Paul Lewis. Plus, the U.S. can soon welcome him in a six-concert tour with Mitsuko Uchido. Mark Padmore continues to remind us about the need to cultivate as he said so inspiringly in this interview, attentiveness, and that is attentiveness to our art. I hope you will visit my website at centerstagewithpamelacoon.com for the gallery of my shows. In the meantime, stay safe out there. This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. Oh, yeah,